this time. Father, I thank you, Father, for the men and women and children that braved the weather uh, to be here. Uh, Father, I know and I trust, Father, that you use the preaching and the declaration of your word to change lives, Father. Um, Father, I pray that you would do that. Holy Spirit, move in this moment. In your name, amen. What on earth, when I think of like diets and stuff like that, what diet actually works? Have you guys ever done research on diets and after doing research, you just left confused? Should I be a vegan? Should I be a vegetarian? Should I be that carnivore, I mean, carnival di carnivore diet? Like, that's the diet for me. Like, you only eat meat. All the meat, 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 meat. That's the diet for me. Should I, should I get into keto? Should I get into Atkins? Is milk okay? Are eggs good for me or bad for me? Am I allowed to eat bread? Are carbs okay? Give me all the carbs. Don't take away my pasta. Should I go organic or is non-organic okay? When I think about what I'm putting on my fork, do I know that what I'm putting on my fork is good for me, or will it kill me in the long run? Like, how do I know? Because in the day of Google, anything is possible. We've said this back when we did the binge series. You can Google anything and find scientific support for everything, and at that point, what good is science? When I can, when I can look at... Atkins, I can look at the carnivore, I can look at vegan, I can find scientific support that would say all those diets are good and all those diets are bad. So what am I to believe? What am I supposed to trust? And, and I recently listened uh, to a book called uh, What the Heck Should I Eat by Mark Hyman. And it, he, he is not somebody that takes money from any organizations. He's just a doctor that said, I want to know that what I put on my fork I can trust is good for me and not going to kill me. And so I read this with like, just like, wow, like this is very, very helpful. He says a whole lot of things. And after reading it, I'll tell you one case in point. Now, y'all are going to make fun of me. And if I, if I were you in your seat, I would probably say I'm a hippie. All right? So just know that ahead of time. I'm not trying to be a hippie. But I really question milk now. Like, when it comes to milk, we're one of the only species that drink somebody's out, somebody else's breast milk. And then our cows are being pumped with all of these drugs and hormones so they get fat and grow really, really quickly. And one of his points is, why do you think young women are maturing so fast when they're drinking so much milk and being pumped with these hormones that are making cows get produced faster? It's making them produce faster. And I, and I read this, and I, and I looked at, like, what he was saying and how the milk industry paid for certain studies to say that milk was indeed healthy and thought to myself, well, maybe it's not. Maybe I should go organic, or maybe the almond milk isn't as hippie as I thought it might be. <laughs> and so because I read something like this, because I've done my own research, I started to trust, trust that, and trust is now seen in action. <laughs> I, <dr> I can't believe I'm saying this. I drink almond milk. I drink coconut milk. I'm the hippie. And, uh, and so because I trust it, though, guess who else only drinks almond milk? My three-year-old daughter. <laughs> because I don't want her maturing faster than she needs to. She can stay my baby girl forever. And so thankfully she loves uh, almond milk and is good with that. But for me, if I trust that, I'm pursuing, part of that trust is to pursue a healthy lifestyle. 
If I start to lack trust, if I start to go against that which I said I have trusted, for me, that is now a pursuit into what is now unhealthy. So trust will help me pursue what is healthy. A lack of trust will cause me to pursue what is considered unhealthy. And Paul just got done. We looked at it last week. Paul just got done talking about the beauty of adoption. We trust that as we pursue that. We're pursuing that which is healthy. To lack trust in that is to pursue what is then unhealthy. And so he picks it up and he says this. Formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not God. So he's talking about that former life before you said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus died for my sin. There is wrath for my sin, and I believe God Almighty took wrath out on Jesus in my place. I trust that. Any thought opposed to that should be seen as former. That former way of doing life should be left as former. He's saying your old way of thinking you didn't know the true God of Israel. You, that former way of life, you didn't know Jesus truly. That former lay, way of life was lies. That former way of life was demonic. That former way of life was, was, was being held captive to demonic and, and, and pleasures of this world and things that were not leading you to the true God. And that means that in that former life, we're praising not the true God. We're praising things that are ultimately self. I get myself to heaven. I do, I do, I do, I earn. Ultimately, it's not praise for God. It's praise for self if it's all about me. And so what in your life has to be seen as former? For me, no longer am I going to be considered a long work week God. Like, no longer. My former life was I would work 75 hours and say, I'm sorry, wife and kids. That's a badge of honor for myself. My hard work is my God. And so that has to be seen as former. Or, or in my former way of thinking, there were seasons in my former way of thinking where I would say, I know God loves me, but he surely doesn't like me. Have you been there? You, you can grasp the deep love of God, but when it comes down to the everyday personal level, ah, God can't like me too much. That, has, that was formerly in my thinking. Or at my worst, in my former way of thinking it was my life isn't worth living and thank God my brother walked in on me when I wanted to take my life because I thought the world would be better without me and my mom promised me McDonald's and she took me to Christian counseling and I said sure I'll do it for McDonald's supersize it <laughs> and she took me to Christian counseling I loved it I started to understand the lies from the pit of hell that God put me on this planet. He loves me and he wants me. He has a plan for me. And so if I start to believe those lies again, I am gravitating. I am moving towards what is unhealthy. Paul is acknowledging there is a former way of living, a former way of thinking. It must be seen as so what in your life, what lies are you accustomed to believe? Was there a moment when you think back about the longevity of your life? Was there a moment where you were in a situation that felt hopeless, but now year 
years, months, weeks removed from it, your understanding that God was there in the midst of what felt hopeless. It's a former way. Man, I thought God wasn't around, but now that I know that was a lie. God is there. He is present. Or maybe you've been coming here, and we've been causing you to, to grapple with things that you've been taught your whole entire life. What do you mean I don't have to go to a priest for God to hear me? That I can just go directly to God. What do you mean I don't have to do this, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, and all of a sudden I've earned God's approval? What do you mean that God's done all the work on my behalf and I just get to live a life of gratitude towards him? So what in your thinking used to be there that now you're seeing that isn't true to God's word and now has to be seen as former? What do you gravitate back towards in your moment of weakness? And so Paul, Paul continues on. He says, but now that you have come to know God, this is so beautiful. Now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God, it is God who initiates salvation. How can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more? To use the context of the section. If adoption is awesome, why do you want to go back to the orphanage? Why? If, if you are known by God, if you know him, he knows you, why do you want to go back to a place where you're unknown? My God, here's the beauty. This, this, this little verse isn't focusing so much on us knowing God, but rather God of this universe knowing you. The God that created every blade of grass. The God, you walk to the beach. The God that can count every piece of kernel of the sand. That knows intimately everything about this world. Knows you. And though I walk through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. The world is hard. The world has its struggles, and we get the joy of knowing that we are known by God, and he walks with us. Guess what? Ava Koash, Lori, Alicia, God knows your name. Here's, here's what it says in Revelation. Here's the antithesis. Here's, here's the negative side of it. If, anyone, uh, if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So there is a book where our name, once we place faith in Jesus Christ, my faith is tied in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Guess what happens for those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ? There's a book. And that moment when I ran up, as like a second grader to my children's church thing in, 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 in New England Baptist Church, you would have all the children run up front for like a five-minute like little sermonette. That's what we did. And I said yes to Jesus at that moment when I placed faith in Jesus Christ in this book up in heaven. Carved out the name Jason Coash. Some of you had said, have said yes to Jesus Christ in the last year. In the last year, your name was written in this book. And the angels rejoiced. And the antithesis, the, 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 the unfortunate thing is that when you and I die, if our name's not in this book, you're not known by God. 
Revelation earlier on says, he, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, righteousness. And I will not what? I will not erase his name from the book of life. Your name's in here. It's never going away. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That I, when I die, I'm not fighting for myself. My Jesus is fighting for me before his father saying, Hey, Jason, on his own isn't holy, but guess what? My body was broken. My blood was spilled. And I took those old, dirty clothes, and I gave him my clean clothes. Let's go. Enter into paradise. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Your name's right here. Let's go. Because God knows your name. Formerly he did not, but now he does for those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Why would we want to turn back? If we understand the beauty of adoption, why would we want to go back? Tyler Tenor, wherever you are, I told you this. Get on up here. Where are you? Stand up. Yeah, get, get up here. So I'll illustrate it this way. I, I started this whole book of Galatians with uh, telling you guys that I got rid of, I like lost 120 pounds. Tyler was there when I was a youth pastor, and he knows my chunkier days. And uh, so I only saved a little bit of clothing that used to be like sentim uh, is sentimental to me. And so these are my old sweatpants. Uh, they're red socks. You, you are about the same size. I'm a little stronger, but can you put these on? And so uh, after church, you know, like after church you want to watch football, so you throw sweatpants on. Those are my old sweatpants that I used to rock. And, uh, and so because you're a Jets fan, and I had to look snazzy for church and whatnot, this is the old polo that I used to wear. Uh, is it a Patriots polo? Yeah. Can you get a picture of this? And... Uh, so this is, this is the outfit that I used to wear on a Sunday. Can you all see how ridiculous he looks? Like, this is the outfit I used to wear. This is, for me, part of my former life. And then, don't worry, this isn't really Windex. Then, remember the analogy that I used after working out? It's like I go and I take a shower, but then it's like I put on these wet, dirty clothes again, and I truly clean. So again, everything about Tyler right now is, for me, part of that, that old way of doing life, that former way of doing life. Why would I aspire for this? Why would I aspire to wear these clothes again? Why do I want to go back if it's considered worthless elementary, if it's considered like this is going to kill me? Why would I want to go back? So what in your life needs to be seen as former? What in your life that used to be worthless needs to be stayed, kept worthless, dead? Tyler, you can go have a seat. I'm just giving you my clothes later. Thank you, Tyler. So we can be a slave to the world or a slave to Christ. Who do you trust more? Which life is truly better? Is the life that Christ died for, isn't that better? Is that old life, is that truly, truly better? If you've been clothed with righteousness, why would you want to put on these old clothes and say, this is better? Is it really better? Is that really what Jesus died for? Or does he not know your name and clothe you in his own righteousness? That old life that you know at a moment, you knew, this isn't quenching me. Why do we go back thinking it's all of a sudden going to quench us? 
And so, and so Paul concludes this by saying, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I have, may have labored over you in vain. Paul is lamenting. Paul is saying, I've gotten my butt kicked for you. I've been left for dead. I've been beaten by rods. I've been stoned. Uh, I, I have been shipwrecked. I have been all of these things. People actually thought I was dead. They beat me so bad. Was it for nothing? Do I have to do it all over again? And what he's alluding to here, this is what, in the whole book of Galatians, this is the section that blew my mind the most. A Jewish person, rightfully so, observes a very strict calendar. If you go to Lakewood, you understand that there are certain holidays you get because of the Jewish influence there because of a strict calendar. Those holidays are, are really good holidays. It's good to, to remember what God has done. But what Paul is saying here, he's putting that in the negative context. Why? Because these are Christians that are now trying to adapt a Jewish way of thinking. And in the Jewish way of thinking, observing the law, observing the holiday, observing the festival, observing the dinner, observing, observing, observing. I'm earning my good status before God. It's no longer about celebrating. It's no longer about remembering. Now it's all about I do, 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 and God must certainly love me. He's looking at this as a way to say Jesus plus observing holidays earns my salvation. And he's putting this now in the context of looking at those things as paganism. Now think about who's writing this. Paul. Do you remember who Paul is when he was Saul? He was, he was there on the way to Damascus, out of Jerusalem, the pinnacle of the Jewish faith. He observing the law, keeping the law, doing the law, doing all this, saying, I was the greatest Jew on the planet. And I came with a letter to persecute, kill, jail the Christians. And now he's looking back at that way of thinking and saying it is paganism. Because in that way of thinking, how are you any different than any other religion in this world? Where you get to do, 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 earn, earn, earn. He's uncovering a scheme of Satan. This scheme that says, I'll make them religious and they'll lose sight of Jesus. Think about that for a second. What if Satan's strategy to try to condemn our souls is to get us to pursue things which in and of themselves are good but cause us to lose sight of Jesus? What if he wants you to lead a life group? What if he wants you to volunteer? What if he wants you to tithe and give of your money? What if he wants to have you lead your, your house in an upright way? What if he wants you to do all of those things with this thought process, if I do, God, certainly you'll never turn your back on me. I'm good to go. What if he wants you to do those things as a way to say, Jesus, I don't need you? How is that any different than paganism? You'll say, well, I pray. I pray all the time. Why, why should you go to heaven? Because I spent days and I, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. I even fasted from time to time. Well, perhaps Muslims pray all the more. They pray a lot. Their pagan ways probably outpray us. Well, you'll say, well, I go to worship. I'm here. I, I, like most of society goes to church once or twice a month or once a quarter or just Easter and Christmas. I go to church all the time. That's wonderful. So do Hindus sometimes for 24 hours straight. How does that make you any different than the pagan world? 
Well, 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 you'll say, well, I, I study the Bible. Jehovah Witnesses can probably quote the Bible better than, better than most people in this room. You'll say, well, I've, I've gone on a missions trip. I, I help the people in Kenya and Africa and all those places. I help the needy of the needy, and that's all well and good. Mormons give, give years of their lives to serve. So if those are the things that earn our way to God, how are we any different than the pagan religions of the world? If your Christianity consists of slavery to religion in order to make you right before God, then you're no different than the pagan religions of this world. What makes us different is our trust relationship on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ. I trust him. All of those pagan ways are now former. Now, because I trust Jesus Christ, I venture into relationship with Jesus Christ. I walk forward in gratitude. I love my Jesus. I'm not doing any of those things because I have to. I'm going to church. I'm serving on a team. I'm doing mission trips. I'm praying. I'm fasting. Not because I have to. Because I'm in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and I get to. He knows me on a deep, deep personal level, and I get to walk with intimacy with him, no matter the cost. Check out this clip from a well-known We have got it. Come on. Elsa. Elsa, don't move. It's ours, Indy. Yours and mine. Elsa, don't cross the seal. The night warned us not to take the ground from here. to use and I like YouTubed it and what I was doing literally I'm in my in my couch on my living room and I have my laptop up to my ear because I'm like I know the clip I just need to make sure there's no curse words in it so I can make sure I play it and all of a sudden I'm not even watching the screen I'm just listening to it to the speaker and all of a sudden he comes out with let it go and I like drop my computer dying in laughter it was like one of those moments that caught me so off guard but it makes this point though lady in the scene doesn't trust Indiana Jones. And she's asking for, he's asking for her trust. She 
does it, and she falls to her death. And then you have Indiana Jones' dad that catches him in a soft voice. says, Indiana, Indiana, your daddy is calling your name. Indiana, Indiana, just trust me. This isn't going to work. If you don't trust me, it will lead to your death. Trust me, trust me, trust me. We're in a trust relationship with God Almighty. Why would we go back? Why wouldn't we walk forward holding his hand? And so our thought for this morning, which I think comes out of the scripture, is that eternal trust in anything apart from God is dangerously delusional. We get to trust the God of this universe to quench the thirst produced by our souls longing for God. Our adoption as sons and daughters of the king quenches us. Do we have we placed eternal trust in that? Before we were enslaved to all sorts of thinking. Before we, we were dead in our sin. Before we, we didn't understand God. We didn't understand what Jesus did for us. We didn't understand that he, his Holy Spirit can live personally inside of us. But then God came. He opened up our understanding. God is the God of salvation. We said, yes, we were redeemed. We were bought at a price. And now he knows us. He wants us. He desires us. Knowing everything about you, knowing everything you used to do, everything that you are doing, everything that you will do, and yet he still desires you. Salvation should lead us to praise. Salvation is a type of trust relationship that should quench our thirst for year after year moment by moment. So where do you go to have your thirst quenched? Where do you go? To, where are you placing your trust to quench your thirst? Are your friends and the people you're surrounding yourselves, are they really going to quench your thirst? Is that relationship that you have, that you're making that into God, are they really quenching your thirst? Is that pleasure? Is the drugs? Is the alcohol? Is, is the sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever it might be, is it really quenching your thirst? thirst or might Jesus be the only thing that truly quenches our thirst. And so we celebrate, we value captivating environments. Ca a captivating environment is where I give everything to Jesus and allow him to take control, allow him to produce that which I can't. And sometimes to produce a captivating environment where we make Jesus the focus means that I have to say no to something that might be good. To pursue what is better, Jesus Christ. A captivating environment that has me as the focus is just a selfish environment, not a captivating environment. No one's captivated by a selfish person. People are captivated by the one true God. So my challenge for us today is stop doing a good thing to do a better thing. Observing the Jewish calendar wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. But it was a bad thing when that was where our trust was going. When that was what we're placing our trust in, we, for them, they had to stop doing a good thing to make Jesus put him back on the throne. And so what is the good thing that you might have to stop doing to pursue what is better? Perhaps there is a boy in your life, and the boy in and of himself isn't a bad thing. Perhaps the boy is a good thing, but the boy becomes a bad thing when you make the boy God. So perhaps you have to say no to a good thing to pursue what is better because you're making a God into the good thing. Maybe the promotion is a good thing. 
But maybe you're making it into a bad thing by working 75 hours a week and neglecting your family. Well, this is only for a season for me to get my promotion. Perhaps seasons have a tendency to turn into a lifetime. And maybe that work ethic that you think is your badge of honor, that it's just for a season to get a good promotion, perhaps once you get said good promotion, they're going to expect the same effort. So is the promotion, has that become God? Maybe your marriage is a good thing, but what happens when you turn your spouse into God? Your spouse will never fulfill you. We're about to move into a new building. I couldn't be more excited. But if we turn the building into God, it will never fulfill us. The building is a tool. The building is a landing spot to help us reach more people for Jesus Christ. The building isn't our identity. Our identity is that we exist to ignite a craving for Jesus Christ by relentlessly loving our community. We can turn a good thing into a bad thing if we turn the good thing into God. So today we get the opportunity to collect pledge cards. And uh, I, I want you to know that I have skin in the game, that, that part of helping to produce a captivating environment was not asking you guys to do something that I'm not willing to do. So here's how it played out for Ava and I. We got some money. We, our kids were, were going down to Manahawkin for private school, and our town actually gave us gas money to, to help with that. It was like this crazy thing that we, like, we applied. I'm like, sure, whatever. I'm like, okay, cool. Two days before vacation, Ava and I have been saving for a year and a half, giving a little money away each month to go on vacation. And then two days before we go on vacation, we get a check in the mail for $1,000. And I was like, we're going to have a great vacation. Like, steaks for everyone. Even the kids will get steaks. No more chicken fingers. And Ava and I sat and we thought that we were going to ask you to make a pledge. We said, yes, we can think of good things. We can pay down debt. We can, we can, we can pay, pay for a nicer vacation. We can think of a lot of good things to do with this money. But perhaps to produce a captivating environment, we had to say no to a good thing and do a better thing. And so to put skin in the game, Ava and I gave us the gave to sign that check over, gave a thousand dollars to help start this campaign. And then every month we try to give 14, 15% of our budget. And so we're going to every month give over and above that we're going to give a hundred dollars a month to help this campaign because we want to sacrifice we want to we want to say no to what might be a good thing to pursue a better thing a captivating environment and so if this is your first time here as we talk about pledge cards as we talk about giving please do not give us a dime and i mean that with my whole entire heart i have friends that are visiting here for the first time today don't give me a penny you know it's my joy to lead a church that values people. And if you don't call Wellspring home, it is our joy to collect and to give and to, and to be generous for you. Enjoy yourselves and then come check out this new building with a group of people that are going to pledge and to give to value and here's the cool thing about this, that, that, we, that we gave, that like Ava and I gave, and we said no to something, and then God took it and did something way more. Here's the cool thing. As, as you give your pledges today, pass it in the bucket. There's envelopes that you can give. You can do it online, the app, just building fund, memo building fund, whatever. You'll, you'll, you'll know how to do this. Here's the cool thing, how God can take little and do more with it. God took our little gift, and today we start this pledge. We start this campaign of trying to raise $85,000 to build out this building. And guess what we're starting with? 
$9,640. Because people have been generous. So praise God for that, and let's keep going. Much for watching. If this was your first time with us, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you call Wellspring Church home, different ways to give are listed in the video description below. And please subscribe to our Facebook, Instagram, and this YouTube channel to be kept up in all the newest content from Wellspring Church.